Master Tavern Keepers, History of the Old World. And so, let us now get back to the world, according to Engler Brack. So you wanted to know about the history of the worship of Manan, did you? As it happens, I made a study of the old scrolls and journals of yesteryear, painstakingly written by my forebears, when I was at the University of Nuln, under Professor Malwert. Saskia, I heartily recommend sending young Septimus here to Nuln to study when he gets a little older. It provides a first-class education and a plethora of life-enriching experiences off-campus. Noon. During my time at Nuln, I first encountered mention of the worship of a sea god by the tribes of man in the travelling logs of the ancient dwarves. The earliest of these described their encounters with primitive tribes of humans on the Tylean Sea, both on the shores of what we now call Tylea and on the Estalian Peninsula. It spoke of them worshipping an ill-defined pantheon of minor sea spirits and gods in these small shrines, grottos, and sea henges. Here they would offer sacrifices in order to secure the bounty of the sea and protection from reavers, but later accounts tell us that perhaps, inspired by the elven ruins that are dotted around Tylea, they switched the focus of their worship to centre on a god akin to the elven god Mathlan, whom they called Mafan. The Norse, too, had their sea god, an embodiment of the fury of the Sea of Claws that the professor hypothesized was the nascent god Stromfels. May that name be cursed forever. Closer to home, in the lands that would become the Empire a thousand years before Sigmar, it was amongst the Endel tribe that the true worship of Manan emerged, where he rose to become their patron god. Och now, as you know, I'm no empire man like you and Heinrich here. Who are these Endel fellas then? Ah, well, as you know, I studied all about the ancient history of the empire at the University of Nuln, and I could tell you all about this particular tribe. But in order to uh, succinctly answer your question, in a nutshell, the following are the most salient things worth saying about the Endels. The Endels, ancestors of the Westerlanders, were an ancient and somewhat belligerent tribe that dwelt around the area we now call the Wasteland, just north of the Reich Delta. A blighted, fog-shrouded land that stretches from just above where Marienburg now stands up to Arnau, 
north of the Tumble Downs, at the end of the Old North Road, where it reaches the Sea of Claws. Our now is now the home of the old noble house of the Van Burens that overlooks the forest of Laurelorn to the east. These are uh, fine men and women, if a little parochial and prone to self-aggrandizement. Now, there is much to say on the history of the Wasteland and the war between the Skaven and the Fermir that gave it its current status, but uh, another time, eh? Anyway, the Endals primarily lived on the more hospitable northern and eastern lands around the Wasteland, in addition to uh, exploiting the marshes themselves. However, this all changed with the coming of the Jutones. It is recorded that the Jutones, too, came unto the land of the Empire about a thousand years before the start of the Imperial Calendar, at a time when many of the early tribes of men were expanding into all corners of the Old World. The Jutones settled along the coastline that borders the Sea of Claws, and yes, by which I mean present-day Nordland, but also Ostland. However, all did not go well. The early Jutones found themselves trapped between two fierce enemies. The first were the Norsai from across the sea to the north. Oh, yeah, whose threat is still visits today, undimmed. Aye, alas, that it is so. Och, to be true. But who is this other threat then? Ah, why, that would have been my very own ancestors, antecedents of many a Midlander, the Teutogans. The Teutogans, too, arrived during the Great Migration, although they are referred to as the Teutokin in ancient sources. They were barbaric and warlike. Oh, yeah. Then it seems that the apple has fallen very far from the tree in the intervening millennia, then. <laughs> I'm afraid, Heinrich, that your attempts to uh, bait me will get you no bites. And anyway, what is wrong with a bit of civilization? Without it, how could I have attained such girth? Ha, 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 ha. Oh, yeah, yeah, indeed. I am not opposed to a bit of a Midland girth myself, actually. Oh, uh, anyway, uh, back to the Teutogans, eh? The tribe obviously settled in the lands we now call Middleland and immediately began to savage and plunder the surrounding lands up from the River Reich all the way to the Middle Mountains, expanding their domain as they did so, and, soon enough, clashing with the Jutones. Obviously, at this time, the Jutones were fighting hard to push back the Norsei threat from the north. This left them vulnerable to the south, as warriors and resources were funneled to protect their coastal settlements, and the Teutogans raided and preyed on the exposed villages and hamlets of the Jutones, as uh, well as many of the other neighbouring tribes. 
leading to them being both fiercely hated and feared. Oh, but, but why were these ancient Middenlanders so keen to exploit the weaknesses of their brothers? Was there no sense of fraternity? Indeed, there was not. In fact, not until the age of Bjorn and then his son Sigmar did this occur. And when the bonds of brotherhood we now know were forged by them, it was with both hammer and blood. Ah, tale for later. But to answer your question, the reason was the god that they followed. The warrior god Ulrich. What? The god of winter and wolves? Indeed. The ancient stories of the Teutogans themselves tell us that they were on some sort of holy quest. They were searching for the sacred hearth of their god, a place for Ulrich's people to call home. In this quest, they did much mischief, though. They slaughtered their way across the heart of the old world, carving out a vast territory, butchering tribe after tribe as offerings to their god, until, at last, he answered, and showed the priests of Ulrich a vision of the place they sought, a flat-topped mountain that stood proud and loomed large over the surrounding dense woodlands. Here they built the city of Midnheim, and named the mountain Fauschlag, although today we know it as Ulrichsburg. Och, but what happened to the Jutones then? Ah, well, their king, Marius, was presented with two options by his advisers. One, he could offer up no resistance to both his enemies, potentially leading to the wholesale enslavement of his people at the hands of the Norsi, or their sacrifice at the hands of the Teutogans. Or two, resistance, and the continuation of the butchery, as well as the likelihood of starvation, as land and manpower were slowly lost to their enemies. Either option truly meant only one thing, though. Their eventual annihilation. There was yet one more choice, though. Exodus. King Marius persuaded a large portion of his people to instead flee through the Forest of Shadows and head west. Oh, and Heinrich, this will be of interest to you, methinks. Those Jutones who remained became known as the Was Jutones, the ancestors of the modern-day Nordlander. Your ancestors, no less. Oh, yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> Indeed, so many do not know where they have come from and the lives that led to their own life and place in the world. I hope that you are beginning to see my own interest in history. Oh, yeah, yeah, I most certainly am. Anyway, when the Jutones who followed Marius came from the east, it was into the lands of the Endals that they arrived, driving the Endals deeper into the bogs and marshes of the wasteland. But it was at this point that their god, Manan, the sea god of the Endals, gifted a vision to their chieftain, King Marbad, leading him to take those that would follow him down to the Reich Estuary to found the city of Marburg upon a gigantic black rock that stood proud of the surrounding heath and marshland and was once an outpost of the Elves of Yore. 
According to an old Endel tale, when King Marbad came upon the site, little remained of the ancient settlement apart from their foundations. However, at the heart of the rock was a six-foot-high wall made from pale blue stone. Within lay an entrance to a cavern beneath the black rock, within which King Marbad found a magical hidden chamber whose enchantments had faded. Inside, the king discovered a sword that had been unsheathed and stabbed deep into the rock. A blue gem burnt at the tip of the pommel, its hilt wound with bright silver wire. Around it were dwarf bones, as well as tattered remnants of clothes, ancient books, and a smattering of gold coins. He retrieved the sword and named it Ulfshard. Ach, so is this blade famous or something? Ah, indeed it is. It is an Azur relic from the days of the Great Catastrophe, wielded by Marbad throughout his life, but more famously, once used by Sigmar himself at the Battle of Blackfire Pass to slay a vile troll that many had claimed could never be slain. The sword was passed down after Marbad's death and became a symbol of power for the rulers of the Endals. Anyway, the ruins of the hall above the cavern entrance were rebuilt by Marbad and the Endals to be the centerpiece of their new settlement, the Raven Hall, an impressive hall made from volcanic rock in the shape of a great raven. However... Mostly the buildings, despite having stone foundations, were made from wood, and damp rot was apparently a constant problem. But whilst the Endals were settling into their new abode, the newly arrived Jutones found that their new lands came with a price. You see, the climactic end to the war between the Fermir and the Skaven had not eliminated the native Fermir. Marius and the newly arrived Jutones soon found themselves engaged in an ongoing war with the Fermir, both sides intent on the eradication of the other. It is written in the saga of Dobe Arend that around ten years before the start of the Imperial calendar, the two warring factions fought a fierce battle amidst the ruins of an ancient elf fortress. Here, King Marius bested the Queen of the Fermir in hand-to-hand combat, killing her at a place called Slagveldsrots, which means uh, Battlefield Rock. With this decisive victory, the Jutones laid claim to the marshes, as well as all the lands that lay between the forests and the sea. Upon the elven ruins, the Jutones built the city of Jutensreich, and upon Slagveldsrots, Marius built the palace of Stadtholder. Anyway, it goes without saying that both the Endals and the Jutones became fierce rivals. Although the efforts of both King Bjorn of the Umbrogan tribe, previously known as the Humbroken during the Great Migration, and his son, the famous Sigmar Heldenhammer, did much to form bonds between the two as the tribes of men fought against the threat of the Greenskins and the Norsai. Indeed, 
King Marbad and King Bjorn became firm allies when the orcs of the Bloodmoor tribe from the Green Mountains invaded the lands of both the Endals and the Umbrogan. Both kings fought side by side in the conflict, and King Marbad even saved King Bjorn's life at one point. This life debt later saw Bjorn ride to the aid of the Endals when mysterious mist demons beset their lands. In gratitude, it is said that Marbad offered the Ulfshard to King Bjorn as part of a sword oath, but that the king allowed him to keep the sword in honour of their friendship. This strong alliance led to the Endals becoming the first of the human tribes to join the alliance forged by Bjorn that would go on to become the nascent empire under his son, Sigmar. Oh, Zoviso, what about the Jutons? Ah, well, they were less invested than the Endals. But it is telling that after King Bjorn fell repelling the Norsai, a small band of Jutons, wearing their traditional brightly coloured jerkins and feathered helmets, attended his funeral pyre. Obviously, though, King Marbad and the elite of the Endals were also present and in force. But uh, let us not get sidetracked. Why don't we return to what Anglo was saying about the old gods? Noon, Professor Malwert asserted that in the nascent empire, as the various peoples of the numerous tribes of men mingled, Manan, the sea god of the Endals, came to swallow up the other minor sea and river deities, either replacing them completely or relegating them to mere facets of Manan. Around this period, mention of my own river god, Father Reich, now refers to him as being Manan's son. The worship of the Jutone god, Olovald, becomes absorbed by that of Manan, and formerly distinct gods such as Mabalt become mere aspects of Lord Manan. Noon, as the empire grew stronger and became more stable, our cult came more to resemble the form it takes here today in 1531. Professor Malwert said there was much more to explore with regards to his theory, but uh, he never got chance. Fate stepped in, and he was suddenly drowned in his study on the fifth floor of the university. Somehow it had filled up with seawater. It was uh, most peculiar, everyone said, although I have some uh, insight into this event. One thing I will say, though, is this. Truly, Manan moves in mysterious ways. Oh, my goodness. Surely foul play is afoot there. <laughs> you don't say, Heinrich. You don't say. 